Hi everyone, welcome to Better Homes in Dungeons. Um, I'm not very funny. Um, joining me today is someone who I, I'm actually really, really, really looking forward to this conversation. Um, be because he sent me something that was really interesting for me to read and have a ponder about a few hours before we did this. Um, so without any further ado, my friend, who are you? What do you do? Hello, my name is Eric Silver. I am the Dungeon Master of Join the Party, a 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Currently, we're in a campaign two where we're doing like a modern X-Men superhero thing, really ripping the fantasy off of uh, Dungeons & Dragons. And uh, uh, I, when I'm not doing Dungeons & Dragons, I am the head of creative at Multitude, and I've written and produced a bunch of other shows for for uh, our podcast collective and studio, like Next Stop, a uh, 90s style sitcom before podcasts. And but, you know, we took out all the gay panic and all the terrible uh, fat jokes uh, and instead said did stuff like that. And I'm producing podcasts and uh, trying to come up with more jokes to put in my D&D campaign. So it's a good time. It is. I'm, I, I generally go with terrible puns. That's awful, but uh, it admirable. is. Oh, trust me. They're, they're very bad. I, I just ramp up and do, like, extended pop culture references with NPCs that I put in my game instead. That's cool. That's good stuff. Listen, you got to come up with an entire criminal organization based around Space Jam. And uh, they were the – they were just um, – oh, no, I forgot the name. Now the joke doesn't even make sense. Bail. 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 Josh, say something else. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe call them basket cases. That would have um, been good. I think I called them. He must have. I must have just called them the Monstars. Honestly, that sounds like something I should have done. Yeah, I, I guess that. Yeah, that, that's good too. Mm. I think that's what they called themselves. That is what the they called themselves. I, I just put it in. I'm just like, here yeah. they are. They they also <laughs> they're also bank robbers. There you go. Yeah. Cool. So, um, Eric, one one thing we always do here is we we talk about a um a thing that Josh has taken from a book called More Than 140 Things We Think About Games. Mm. Um. And this week it is make sure you have two player games in the house. I yeah. think maybe it's just keeping them in in mind, like knowing that you have to play them and sometimes you can't get a third friend. Like you will always have two players, like whether it's you and your partner or you and your singular roommate or you and your one of your parents who want to play with you. So I think it's like keeping that in mind as well, which I love doing. It's Something that um, yeah. I have a lot of two-player games. I recommended a bunch of my brother who played with his his wife, um, and also makes me remember that like it's okay to split the party if you want to have like really independent and intimate scenes with each other. So mm. there you go. Yeah, like that, that makes sense. I mean, I think that um, I mean, wizards did did bring out the hench person stuff. Yeah, I think in the D and D essentials rules was it. Yeah, I, I or the one of the new things that they put out. Yeah, yeah, I've not looked into that. Um, partially because the only time I would have used them was with my ten-year-old, but I'm now running a table for him and his friends while we're playing Burn Bright, and uh, that's mm. it's kind of lovely. That sounds but, incredible. It must be so much fun doing like a real hot, real ridiculous sci-fi thing with a bunch of uh, with a bunch of kids. Uh, it is for a few reasons. Um, a, they all just like four out of six of them decided to go with just beefy McBeef persons. Classic. Yeah, I was like, all right, you want to solve problems with muscles? Okay, yep. Look, that is that's valid. <laughs> um, 
but also like managing a table full of kids is different. It requires different skill sets to doing it, to, to running a table with adults mm-hmm. and not just content filtering, but like, okay, look, you, you can't just talk all the time. Okay, buddy, you're, you're being muted for two minutes while this person talks. <laughs> so bit, bit of classroom management there, I guess. Got to have the tools. I mean, the tools are there to be used. Uh, honestly, if I was going to play a two-player game, I wouldn't do D&D. I think there's a lot of yeah, really, I... like, intimate tabletop RPGs that you can do, especially, like, free one-pagers or ones that, like, are explicitly about the relationship between two people. Like, I saw mm. one that was, like, um, similar to uh, a riff on Pacific Rim. So, like, the relationship between two people who have to pilot a massive mech together and, like, live in the drift and, like, the intimacy between that. So if I'm going to play a two-player game, I'm going to play a real two-player game with, like, deepening my relationship with this person I live with, and, you know, because of yeah, how that, we're living right now. That, that, that sounds very cool, and I don't think I would recommend D&D for two-playering anyways. Like, yeah, it just doesn't feel – yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just a me thing, but you've also said you wouldn't do it, so I guess – it's not. No, I totally agree with you. I think the problem that we get hung up on with Dungeons and Dragons and when people start like praying to the god of Dungeons and Dragons, like what is this is the be all and the end all and it cannot be changed and it's immutable, is that we realize that Dungeons and Dragons is here to tell one specific type of story, which is like an mm. epic that involved heroes or like or very important like protagonists that are very skilled more so than the majority of the population. And also there's going to be action and violence. Like you are telling an action movie with some sort of genre on top of it. And that's fine. I fucking love action movies and I love telling the story. Like I told a fantasy story in campaign one of join the party. We're doing a superhero type story in this one in campaign two. But like, if you want to tell an intimate story, if you want to tell a story about high schoolers, if you want to, dive in if you want to have heists or you really want to like have uh duels or something like the f- you need your form to follow the function and you, you can't mm. just graft everything on a dungeon dragons of course you can always grab from other games and put it into your D game as well like um i love i i brought like the um oh what do you call it the flashback mechanic of planning from blades in the dark and i brought it mm. into D and i'm like okay you can give up a percentage of your health to have planned something in the future because like you know your health is your currency yeah or, or just sacrifice hit dice yeah exactly we we never really play yeah. with sh- with uh short rest so we always just do straight up hp but i think that's great that's great yeah i mean i'm also thinking like in, in a dual sense you could say um have them roll things like uh, perception or investigation uh, as like a bit of a, okay, you know, you're reading their body language. You think they're going to do this. So you're going to try and do this in response. And so you could have like some, some interesting mechanics between like, and, and, and because it's one-on-one, you can get a bit more granular with it maybe. Mm, for sure. Yeah. But I, you know, it's like, again, but like the party, the party is such a D and D thing. Like I think that we're stretching. Yeah, we're we're really stretching. It's like you're supposed to have an adventuring party for Dungeons and Dragons, which I respect. You, 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 but like, hey, there are yeah, so many I, other games out there. I promise. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll have to get some other games. I think happening at some point. Mm. Um, but you just said okay, you're so, playing. You just say you're playing Burn Bright, and like fucking shout out to Burn Bright. So like, yeah, Burn it's Bright's great. great. It's and great. James Intricasso is a he's a he's a frustratingly lovely person. <laughs> He's just too nice. I know. I, so, someone that prolific shouldn't be that nice. That's not fair. No, he shouldn't be. 
James, just call someone a prick. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I've seen his uh, political posts. I, I think you know, he, he gets angry at the right people. Fair. Um, uh, okay, so look, one of the things that... Um, so one of the links you sent to me was something that I did kind of want to start digging into because I think this is an interesting place. And um, sure. people who have listened to my shenanigans and nonsense on here know that, yes, I have a degree in political science and sociology. Um it never really gets used, although it looks great on the wall. Um, you wrote an essay about Tolkien's dwarves and that they are coded as Jewish people. And he did come out in an interview and kind of say, yes, that is what I did. Um, I'm going to stop talking now because I'm I'm now talking over you and I realize that and I'm very, very sorry. That's not okay. Um, Eric, can you expand on this one for me, please? A- absolutely. So the article that I wrote was about the embedded anti-Semitism in fantasy and then how that touches Dungeons and Dragons now. So the er text of all fantasy is Tolkien. And um, he explicitly said, hey, the dwarves, they're Jews. I love those. I love those guys. They're great. (laughs) And uh, he was like, yeah, I really love the bit. Like he it's a lot of like referring to like biblical Jews and also um, the Hobbit was based on a lot of his experiences in World War One. And like each of the races are actually coded as different like peoples in Europe at the time. Like the Hobbits were also like the bucolic people in England who were like living out in the sh- in the on the shires. No pun intended. Um, so and, and like the elves and the humans were also like the good guys fighting against the bad guys in World War One. And he wrote this in the in between the two, and then in World War Two, he was like, "Oh wow, the Jews are really getting killed. I really need to do say something about that." So then, in like, you can see the difference between dwarves in the Hobbit and dwarves in, and dwarves in Lord of the Rings. How like the grumpy dwarves who escort Bilbo Baggins are all like grumpy and grouchy and only care about gold and don't actually want to be there. And then like you have Gimli, who is heroic even if he is like a true NPC in so many different ways. He's like a secondary such tertiary character. Um, I, I will say Gimli was actually one of my favorite characters um, in Lord of the Rings. And I, in a lot of ways, I preferred him to Legolas because dwar- dwarves, or at least, okay, my my perception of dwarves on the basis of Gimli yeah. was that dwar- dwarves, dwarves weren't going to bullshit you. Yeah. Which I, I appreciated very much about Gimli. And also, while there was a certain, you know, bluntness to Gimli, there was also like, I, like his meeting with Galadriel, there was a poetry in his soul. And um, yeah. I, I liked him for, for a lot of those reasons. But also uh, during the killing competition that they had at Helm's Deep, Gimli seemed to have a sense of humor about the whole thing. Um, whereas Legolas, oh, there was a little bit of sense of humor there. It was, it was interesting to see Tolkien actually had a sense of humor in some way because the rest of the book is just not very funny. No, I mean, listen, you're absolutely true. And the part of the article, and I kind of get bogged down on it a little bit, but I don't want to, is that, like, I'm not critiquing Lord of the Rings and then and The Hobbit. They are the fundamental yeah. text of fantasy. However, this was a book that was written in, like, ni- the 1930s, and and people then are be like, this is perfect, nothing about this is changing, everything about it is great, it is the foundation of fantasy, and ever- all fantasy stories are going to be based on this in so many ways. And when you don't examine something that was created by one English dude, nearly a hundred years ago, you're going to have problems when it comes to derivatives because he's going to come from one specific way. 
uh, and one specific thing. I think that's also the problem of Dungeons & Dragons, because when D&D was made, it was directly pulling shit from Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Like, mm. the the uh, Tolkien estate sued TSR, the original company that uh, Gary Gygax founded and ran and made D&D, for, like, using the word Hobbit and using the word, like, orc and, dwar- and dwarf and dragon and all that stuff and eventually they settled and they just turned hobbit into halfling but like literally D is based off of off of that and i think that when you're starting with something that uh that where you take an entire people and you make them a race in your fantasy world you don't get to do that like you just you don't get to use the experience of other people even if you think they're neat but they still are othered in the way that you are othering someone because you're like, oh, I think your shit is neat. I'm going to make you into a thing in my book and that story. And I think that there, mm. there's stuff in there that is impossible. And if you don't tease that out, it's really difficult when you're having a storytelling game that's supposed to be for everybody. Um, and I think that that's a fundamental flaw. And there's some other fundamental flaws and embedded anti-Semitism that is still in the Monster Manual and the DM's Guide today that Wizard of the Coast chooses not to examine because they would rather, like I said, pray at the altar of D&D and not change things that have been around since Gary Gygax put it together so many years ago in the 70s. Hmm. No, um, I, I did read through. Um it was it, yeah. I mean, look, I the, the the comment you made about phylactery only being mm-hmm. and please forgive me, my pronunciation of like a- any language outside of English um, is is not great. Um, what what is the uh, the Jewish term for the for the phylactery that is one? Right. So the uh, a tefillin is what you wear you. for what Jews wear uh, when they're morning prayers. You wear it on your head and you wear it on the arm. They're metaphors for stuff that happened in the Torah. But it has like little. It has a. It's a little. Imagine it's like a little black box that has some religious writing in it, and then it's bound by leather straps. Then you can wear it on your head. You wear one on your head, and you wear one on your um, on your left arm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that was interesting because um, in Russian culture, there is a fellow by the name of Koshe the Deathless. Yeah. Um, and he's he is a lich. They just don't call him one. Mm-hmm. But he's, he's based on like a person that lived for, according to historical accounts, for about 100 years. Um, but a lot of the, and this is only just a reading on Wikipedia. I'm not an expert on anything at all, really. Yeah. Um, they, they kind of do reference it back to like some kind of Turkic um, myths and folklore and whatnot, like because he kept his soul somewhere else. Yeah, I think there is a tradition of keeping your soul in boxes and stuff and like the division of your soul and the the necromancy portion of it. However, the lich as we understand it today was originally made by Gary Gygax. Like the term lich came from, I want to say it's from Greyhawk, but he made it up. So what's interesting about it, and Gary Gygax was like, he was a Jehovah's Witness, but then he parted with the church because he didn't like some of the stuff that they they were doing. And he was like one of those guys that like, he was one of those guys that like did a lot of religious work and scholarship on his own. So I'm like, dog, Mm. you had to have known this. Like you had to have known this as well, regardless if there were other like myths, uh, but like, the 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 writing in the original AD&D or the original monsters manual was like it, it's exactly the same as what Tefillin is and then using the term mm-hmm. phylactery is very interesting because uh, it's comparable to the word talisman and that whole 
which is like maybe maybe it's a medallion or something. But phylactery mm. is that kind of like exoticism when like Christian folk and white folk, I'm thinking of like pick your colonist here, um, coming from whatever side of the pond you and I are on, is that like when you look at, <laughs> at someone else's thing and you're like, oh, look at this religious tchotchke. Look at this like exotic thing I found. And I'm going to call it a phylactery because that's my word for it. You know, like when you put an English word on something that is not an English word because you can't be bothered to figure out what the name of it is. It's like it's it's kind of like that. So I've only heard phylactery in context of like a Christian person or a like supposedly quote unquote American secular text talking about to fill in in this way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I looked it up and it's a Greek word. Um, but yeah, it, like it kind of makes sense also because a lot of Christians do tend to say, oh well, in the old Greek, that's yeah, exactly okay. that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, you hit it right yeah. on the head. Cool. So the the question I guess I would have is okay. So what is the right way of seeing someone else's culture mm -hmm. saying that is really really cool i do want to engage with this in a game sense what is the right way of what is a right way of doing this uh, you'll notice also i said a right way yeah no I... because um, one thing one thing i do want to put out there is like no culture is homogenous and i think that's a dangerous thing to look at i agree um and, and i would say like you know and i realize this is slightly off track uh, and I apologize to everyone for that. But, um, for example, Bruno Mars. Um, you're right. This is off track. I have no idea what you're going to say next. Hold, hold on. He, <laughs> okay. He copped some shit because some uh, African-American people said, wait a second, you're using our style of music to get big. Sure. But you are definitely not African-American. And he's like, no, he's not. He's Filipino and Jewish and a couple of other things, please forgive me. I don't have this written down in front of me. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just absent-minded and not very bright. Um, and so you can kind of have, but other people are like, well, yeah, but he's doing, like he, he clearly loves this music. He clearly is trying to say, hey, I love this thing. Um, I guess the other example is, um, oh man, again, I'm really bad at names. Um, he's like a blonde English dude who sings like, are you, are you talking about Sam Smith? Not Sam Smith. Oh, it might be actually because I'm terrible with names, as I've just proven several times. No, I listen. Um, I think that you have a really. These are good examples, and I think I'm picking up on what you're saying. If you want me to say, yeah, you okay. Uh, his example. song is like "Give Me a Minute to Hold My Girl" or something like that. Like, if you just heard his voice, you'd think that has got to be like one of the oldest, most soulful African American dudes. And then you find out it's this young blonde english dude and it's like okay and then you do a little bit of digging into it and you find that he loved lead belly and mm. you know people like this and it's like look i just love that music i just wanted to sing it because it, it speaks to me yeah and there's that level of i i understand your love but yeah, I, I think that we're yeah, I, I really want to be clear about this. I think that yeah. what, something that you're talking about is like cultural appropriation and like yeah. when people feel like uh, the dominating class or the dominating people are using the culture of the minority because you think it makes you look cool. And like something American that happens in American stuff all the time is that like. White people take the shit of other people and commodify it for their own being because they want it and they get to they're building like American culture on top of it, like the commodification of, of black art and black music and stuff like that. I'm not exactly talking about that. 
in that in that relationship. I think that the problem here is, and maybe your Bruno Mars is a little closer, is because Bruno Mars, the it's it is. Hmm. No, I I. Hmm. I think the problem here is, and the problem that I have here is how Wizards of the Coast in 2021 mm-hmm. is selling stuff and making a lot of money off of things that have problems in them, and that is to their own benefit, and they get to, like, just rake the cash in when it has stuff that is like, hey, that tells me I'm going to take your shit and use it for cash, and I'm going to I'm gonna mash it up in the way that, that D&D and Wizard of the Coast loves to do, which is, like, I'm going to take your mythology and, like, warp it to your, my own way to fit into Dungeons & Dragons, and then I'm going to sell this book. I think that the example that fits this the best is when I'm talking about golems. And, hmm. golem, and you're talking about how do you deal with someone else's culture. Well, how about you start by actually saying what it is and respecting it? Golems in D&D are just constructs, right? They're just like you have a sand golem or a mud golem or a flesh golem or a stone golem, right? But like a golem is a beautiful story and an important mythological creature in Jewish folklore. It is the the uh, the uh, clay put together on the the on a riverbed as the, and then was pulled together with the word of God inscribed on its forehead to defend the Jews in Prague from a crusade, from Christians coming in and killing people for fun, as they love to do during that time. And, like, it was a defender, and then it becomes this very complex story um, about, like, uh, creation and uh, humanity interacting with the word of God and God's ability to create, et cetera, et cetera. You can see that story is then told as Frankenstein, and that is a ve- or the Incredible Hulk, and these are very interesting stories you can do to tell the story of the Golem. However, Wizard of the Coast is like, no, 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 no. I'm taking this word, and now it's just all constructs that kind of look like people, and like mm. that is my problem: is that you don't get to make money and make this in the in 2021. You get to keep this in your monster manual, and I'm going to be okay with it. And you say that this is a story for everyone, but it's not. You're intentionally excluding folks from this, and like I, I don't want to speak on behalf of other people, but like there are also examples of like of Asian stereotype of the the problem of fantasy racism and the coded racism within fantasy. It's like if we don't ex- if we don't examine it, then like how is this storytelling game actually for everyone, and how is everyone allowed to participate in? Uh, the story making, unless you have to decide whether or not you're going to engage and have to uh, take apart this thing that tells you, no, I, I don't, I'm, what you say and what your thing is actually not the real thing. No, I, I think that's, I think that's pretty fair. Like they could just take the word golem and, you know, potentially just go to another language that sounds interesting that but that doesn't have the same cultural significance attached to it yeah or just go construct they literally have a word for this already josh yeah yeah. they have a word (laughs) it's called a construct and like there's no reason to have taken golem and it's it it's like the it's the the building of all this stuff is that the dwarf is the same as the dwarf before and you don't actually and like the the flavor text in the player's guide is like pretty much the same descriptions as tolkien's dwarves and like there is really no indication that they're taking that stuff apart on top of this like embedded thing about the lich that it's still keeping keeping it in this in a phylactery just take out the word phylactery my man just do it 
It's like these are small things that they could do that they don't do. And I don't know if yeah. it's because of their devotion to what they think Dungeons and Dragons is because their Wizard of the Coast is owned by Hasbro and very large corporations don't make changes unless uh, their bottom line is hurt or it takes a very long time because of all this stuff. Um, it, but it just these larger these very these small things to indicate that Jews are welcome. They choose not to make that choice. Yeah, and, and that's pretty fair. I and and one thing we kind of started to have a have a little discussion about was um, I I think dominant culture is an interesting one. Um, because in some ways, some would say Josh, you're a white dude, and I would say, oh yeah, I I, I really am. I'm I'm as as, as, as boring a white dude as humanly possible. Hmm. Um, really, I totally am very boring, like just in general. Um, and in some ways, I would agree. In other ways, I'd say, well, hold on a second. I am, but I'm a white Australian. Hmm. And this is kind of an area where, okay, now Wizards hasn't stolen white Australian monsters yet because, I mean, you know, they'd have to steal our, you know, current... Attorney General and uh, hey, oh, there you go. That's that's an Australian joke, and I'm not happy with it because he's a shitty human being. Um, anyways, in some ways, it kind of feels like to us, like our voices get taken away as well. Because think about how many Australian actors there are that actually get to speak with their Australian accent. Yeah, but what we're talking about is... Yeah, I, I realize. I realize this is completely different, but it was just a thought that I had, and I, and I apologize for derailing. I understand, but, like, what we're talking about is the... What we're talking about is the traditionally powerful and the continuously powerful reinforcing that. that. And, like, I would hope that I'm if they make a kangaroo monster that you don't like... I definitely don't want them to do that. But, like, people have not traditionally put down white Australians, you know, over over time. And I think that is the conversation that we're, we're having here. Yeah. I, like, I also think, to a great degree, we haven't existed for a very long time. I, listen, I don't, I don't know enough about the relationship between, like, the United Kingdom and Australia to say and yeah, like what that, what that means exactly. But then again, like... I'm only trying to talk. I'm only talking about this from like I only have my American perspective, and that's a lot of the stuff that I I dig into. But like, the the problem I think in America that that this brings up in America and with Dungeons and Dragons is like, the white the guy, the guys who make D and D, the very specific straight cis, Christian white guys who make and run it, and as they slowly are opening up this gate to other folks. There's still like you there's still like the devotion to that idea and the quote unquote ideal of what D D is supposed to be, which was made in the nineteen in the nineteen seventies by this one particular guy who uh took all this stuff from another particular guy. Like mm. it's this it's this filtering I think he took down it from of the chain same mail or something. <laughs> I mean literally I mean we're taking from one guy's from one British guy's book, we we was made by another an, an American guy in the 1970s and then like the and then a slowly uh, companies have grown around that and I think that it's important to realize that it's it's made by the same straight cis white Christian guys hmm. um, and that uh, their ideas and their concepts and their what they think is right and their worldview is what's being reinforced in that and if we don't allow ourselves to 
for do we we don't if, like this company if Wizard of the Coast doesn't allow people to say hey I don't like that you can you not do that in your book that you're selling for money and telling people this is the way it is like and they say ah well think about it or they don't engage with that it's kind of a problem and yeah. I, I, I I know I'm oh sorry no 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 I it's then we have like the, there's a real tension between. D and D the company and D and D the game because like you and your game you can choose to make your homebrew however you like but I think that the real problem is that Wizard of the Coast is making money off of this stuff and they should be held accountable if they're gonna you know money makes the world grow round so if they're gonna get to make money off of it then people should hold them accountable that I would agree on especially with something like the uh, the Oriental is it Oriental Adventures. Yes, that was the that was the other one that I had in my mind. How it was Oriental yeah. Adventures was this, uh, it was a supplement from like A D and D or or second edition that they're still selling on the D and D that they were selling on the D and D. Uh, it was um, was it the it DM's was DM's Guild? Guild? Yeah, they were selling on DM's yeah. Guild, and I was like, hey, look at this explicit, terrible Asian stereotype. We're just gonna keep selling it, and it took a lot of fight from uh asian D players to say can you not do this and still like of course they were piled on by these traditional capital n nerds that told them to shut the fuck up and that it was uh, that D was allowed to do whatever they wanted but of course like then they're still selling it but now there's like that um advisory that warning that is like hey we know this is bad this is from a different time but of course they're still selling it so it's like you could have, you could have not, but instead you did this slow process that put the vo- the minority folk that was asking you to change to put you in danger, and I think that that's just that's a real bummer, and it's how I feel. It's how I felt about writing this article as well, where I was like, I I'm putting myself out there on a public platform where I don't know if you've been following American politics lately, but uh, people are blaming Jews for lots of stuff, just like traditionally. And it's it, it, I really felt like I was putting myself out there in a dangerous place by publicly announcing my Jewishness on the my Jewishness on the internet to on a platform, and hopefully something someone's gonna hear you. And it's you know it, it's I won't say I didn't get some threatening uh, DMs, but I did, and it sucked. But it, it's hard that that. You got to put yourself out there like that to try to make it to try to say something. Yeah, um, I, I would say that in in, a, in an ideal world, that should never happen, and uh, and I am sorry that it did. Um, and I do pay attention a bit to American politics. Again, like this is just well, I, I had to read a lot of articles and essays and whatnot on it when I studied, and unfortunately, it's a habit I haven't fallen out of yet. Yeah. Maybe one day I will, but I I don't like my chances. Sure. Um, look, I think this is a really good point, and I think, hmm, part of me wants to say, I don't think we should just say, the second you're making money from a product, that should be the line, because part of me thinks, well, if they brought it out for free, would that make it any better, and part of me wants to say, no, it wouldn't. Yeah. Um, I, I, think it would, I think it would be, I think it would hurt the bottom line, and I think that's, that's okay, I think that's all right. Part of me would say, guys, I'd... If, if you're going to use engage with other people's cultures or, hey, hey, here's something really cool that you may never have heard of. It's really cool. Maybe find a few people from that culture to say, hey, um, here's how you can nicely do this. 
well, here's the non-problematic way of doing it. Here's the non-exploitative way. Yeah, that, um, that's what I'm trying. That's really what I'm trying yeah. to draw the line and this tension between D and D the company and D and D the game that you play with your friends at home. And like I'm trying yeah. to hold Wizards of the Coast to task because they're the ones publishing the books. I'm not gonna go into your your actual game and kick down your door and be like, "Are you using golems in here?" <laughs> well, <laughs> Tell like, me I, I was wondering here. how to how to summon you to my game. So, yeah, right. Like, <laughs> don't don't just start crapping on about golems. No, I definitely I definitely won't. do it. Um, listen, I mean, making making a D and D show, I am very aware of that as well, and like, I really try to use uh, sensitivity listeners and like consultants like this to ask people. It's like I need to. I only have my own experience. How can I bring other things into my game? Because I feel like I have a responsibility for making a creative thing with Dungeons Dragons as a game. Like I'm still a dungeon master, but I'm also like a, a showrunner for my D and D show, and I, I really feel mm. a. I really feel a. Um, a responsibility to that um in, in no, what we do I, I think that's that's really really laudable um that that is really cool i yeah i wish i was a much better person at doing all that kind of thing it's it's really believe me it's not a better person thing i just i it feels like i have a if i'm only this one guy i'm trying to get in as many other perspectives and like i could be treating like you said i you could be treating an issue in a way that you don't even know that you're fucking up but it hurts the people who are listening to your show if you're running on top if you're stepping on top of the thing that they experience so i'm really trying to bring stuff in like i brought a consultant in to talk even right in the beginning it's like to talk about uh the premise of the show is like a scientist discovers a new element which they use for uh like clean energy but it also releases uh delta radiation because it's one more than gamma radiation suck it the incredible hulk um and of course i I appreciate it i got i got where you're going the second you said i was like thank you and the delta radiation changes the people who live in this small town and their children then have these like capital s capital p superpowers um and then it's like in upstate new york uh and then it, the the really small like Lake Town, which is called Lake Town at the time, turns into Lake Town City and is like the size of Sydney, actually, or maybe Melbourne. Um, I'm trying to think of a comp in in Australia um, for that. Probably, yeah, probably Melbourne, probably Melbourne, uh, or like size of Portland, Oregon, in uh, that we have uh, in the United States. Um, and it's funny, like now we have this whole new city, and it's just like. It's partially like a little sci-fi or like near future futurism plus superheroes and all this stuff. But I'm like, I really want to talk to someone about how radiation might change people's bodies and like the health, uh, some of the health stuff and like the relationships and how that might change the relationships and how people deal with that. So I, I, I hired a consultant and I paid them real money to tell me what. And Kevin Snow is incredible and I'm I, he's the best. And I'm glad that I was able to pay him and talk to him about it. Um, so that was just one example. But I really do feel a responsibility for if we have a platform and we make D&D shows, like people are going to listen to them. Dimension 20 is fucking crushing it on this. Uh, they hire consultants all the time to bring in different stories. And it was the only time they brought in a consultant, this um, black Orthodox rabbi who lives in uh, – actually, I don't know if he lives in New York. Let me take that again. They brought in this black Orthodox rabbi who was a consultant about golems because they, they were doing this like New York City uh, – they're doing this New York City urban fantasy story. And like they had a golem in there and they actually put some golem shit in there. Like it wasn't just the golem from cool. D&D. It was like they had the na- – they had the Hebrew word that gives its uh, – 
that gives its power uh, on it inside of its mouth. And then when you take one of the letters out, then it dies. And they actually like examine that. And it's like, this is the real golem. Like, this is real. This is it. And mm -hmm. I felt so seen. And it was the only time in any Dungeons and Dragons media that I felt seen as a Jewish person. Uh, and I was like, awesome. I like, I love that. Thank you. Um, okay. So uh, bringing, as a, as a bringing small that stuff side, in. Have you ever important. read Feet of Clay by Terry Pratchett? Uh, I have not, but I do know about it. I, I'd be interested to know your thoughts on that book because it, it, it does use golems, but it gives them very definite personalities. Yeah. So it's it, it's an interesting book. I, I'd, I'd be curious to know what you think, but that's... That that is an offline conversation that I can I can bug you about later on. I, I think this this goes back to one of your original questions though is like I would love to read that and I don't want people to not use golems and not use liches and not use dwarves but like let's just think about it for about five seconds and try to separate like pull apart the ideas of what we have in fantasy. Like Terry Pratchett was incredible at that and being very aware mm. of the thing that he was talking about and writing about. So I would love to read it. I probably will. So, like, if you want to use golems, just look look into what golems are, and don't trust Dungeons and Dragons, and don't trust the don't trust the monster manual to tell you what a real golem is. And also, a lot of the other legends and a lot of the other mythology that is in there that they kind of lifted, uh, they kind of lifted whole cloth from other mythologies. Like, look into what these are. There's like what you said about Koshe the Deathless, great D and D monster. But like, there's some other shit in like in Russian mythology, like uh. uh Baba Yaga, ba Baba Yaga, like an actual the the classic Baba Yaga, or like there's these bird women that also are are in there. There's like pull from mythology and actually know what the mythology is. I think is my mm. recommendation for your home game. Is like if you want to look into something, like don't make it appropriative and don't make it like your big bad because you think that it's goofy or you think that it's silly. Like make them a complex character more than just the the one thing that you think that it is. And um, listen, I'm only qualified to talk about this Jewish stuff, but like uh, I'm only qualified enough to talk about this Jewish stuff. So I don't want to speak on behalf of other minorities and and the, the complicated relationships within there. But like if you want to use a golem, just look into what they are. There are beautiful stories about them that I am more than happy to point you towards. Um, please do. In my case, um, uh, I will if point you can the DM classic me some links. I'd I'd really love to read about it. You listen, the, there are some great book. There are great books about it. Um, but you can just like. The, Golem Wikipedia Golem the the story of the Golem of Prague is right in there. It's it's tight as hell. There's also the a Golem in uh, the Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon, which is a book uh, a novel about like the golden age of comics, and uh, it's it's really really great. My favorite author. Cool. I uh, I will have to try and do that when when life decides to take the foot off the accelerator for a bit. But it's, it is a great book to lose yourself in. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> cool. Um, now, Rick, one, one, one other thing we always kind of do, um, we, we like to ask a question about, okay, so right now, 20, 2020 and 2021 both came out swinging in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, how, how do you make sure that you're taking care of yourself? Like what's your kind of self-care, mm. you know, Eric doesn't burn out methodology, routine, secret tips. That or, or do you just go scream in a room? <laughs> that is a really good question. You know what's funny is during 2020 and 2021, it got to a point where the work
work that I'm doing as I'm a professional podcaster. I do podcasting stuff full time as head of creative and multitude. Like this stuff started coming together, like definitely not in the beginning when everything was shut down and it was incredibly terrible. I mean, living in New York City, it was a lot, definitely. And it was a lot of like just shutting everything down for three months. But being able to throw myself into my work where finally I wasn't working for other companies. I was able to do it for my own. It was really nice. And I want to encourage everyone to just like realize that the work that you're doing is not like, don't do it for your manager and don't do it for your company. Like do it for you. I listen, this is not rise and grind, but like your, when you realize that, like, I, I think that just like pursue your own passions and don't throw yeah. yourself only into the capital J job because like it's just going to grind you out. And I think that if yeah. you realize that like your job doesn't care about you and you should care about you is really when you start to feel really good about yourself and try to do that. And like don't try to monetize all this shit like d just don't. I d uh, I really made the mistake of taking a lot of games and a lot of things that I loved and turning it into my job. And now I'm really trying to find more things that I just love. And, like, I think that I've been wanting this creative and economic fulfillment for such a long time. This is making me feel really good. But I recommend everybody else, like, don't monetize your hobbies. Like, keep a hobby that is yeah. just for you. Um, oh, for fortunately, Eric, uh, I'm never going to make money off of this. <laughs> I'm safe. <laughs> listen, you could. Listen, you could. Like, you make a, making a Patreon or making a, making a Kofi. And doing and realizing and realizing your worth as an artist, I think, is also something that I've been doing, and I encourage everybody yeah. to do that. Like, if I, you have I, an I, audience, if you have any audience, it's valuable, and I think that it's yeah. worth it. And let people pay you. That's Shad. That's the one, like the thinnest, the thinnest silver lining. The thin, the thinnest, <laughs> like it's the size of a thread. Silver lining is that people have really started to pay for art, and have recognized that. And like that podcasts and YouTube and like games crit and D and D real play actual play shows like that's art and they will pay for your Patreon and they will pay for your Kofi and I love that people are coming around on that and that like I can depend on an audience to like support our shows and allow multitude to grow and thrive. That is good advice, and I should probably not beat the hell out of myself because part of me is like, dude, what I do is not worth a dollar. But it's like, no, Josh, you actually – it probably is worth mm -hmm. at least one to someone. Yeah. yeah maybe. I think cool. – um, Eric, where, where should people go to uh, find what you do and, and find out find out how to be better at stuff? <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter at L underscore Silvero, E-L underscore S-I-L-V-E-R-O. My name, if I was a Lucha Libre wrestler, you can find Join the Party, Join the Party, wherever podcasts are sold, or you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Join the Party Pod. You can f uh, find the other shows and from Multitude. Just put Multitude into your podcast player. And you can find that article uh, that we were talking about. I assume you're going to put it in like the episode description. I will. But it was... Yeah. Uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons has an anti-Semitism problem from Hey Alma. The uh, Alma was the outlet. And uh, read that. Read it. I think I worked really hard on it, and I hope that there's some stuff that you could take away. And I'm really Look, it, it was a good it was a good read. And honestly, it kind of made me want to find out more about a the problem, b the solution, and c you as a human being. Yeah. Listen, I appreciate it. I think the next step is not having to write. Is that like once the article, 
The next step is once the article saying, hey, this is a problem is written, is that engaging with like, well, what are the storytelling implications and really trying to dive into that is like I'm, I've been so conscious lately of how and this is a very an American thing, how like when you say mm. secular in the United States, you really means like a little bit Christian. At the yeah, same time, yeah, yeah, yeah. how like the default of Christmas and the default of Easter and the default of church on Sunday and all of the, and all of those things are just so embedded in everything American, especially American stories. Um, hey, did you know that there was a Christmas episode of Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, the spin-off Disney Channel cartoon show that spun I, off from Toy Story? I did not. I am not surprised. It was Buzz Lightyear met Santa in space and drove his sled. Like, you know, America, okay. you know, there you go. Yeah. Apparently your sci-fi, your story, your space story about Buzz Lightyear has to include Santa. That's like the kind of stuff that I've been thinking about lately. Honestly, I'd rather they include Santa than um, <laughs> the birth of Jesus in that one. It's like, no, actually, you can have Santa. I, no, actually, stay with Santa, mate. If, if you have Santa, it implies that Christ exists in Buzz Lightyear Star Command. And, like, if okay, you don't, actually, if, yeah, that's a, if, that's a you're the one, you didn't have to put Santa in. You could have had some, you could have gone to some planet and had some general wintertime festivity organization. You didn't need Christmas. Life Day. Sorry? Life Day from Star Wars. Similar, yeah, similar. It's like I understand yeah. that you're really reskinning Christmas, but thank you for trying at least. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, and people, if you want to find my shenanigans and nonsense, um, I can be found at Nerdy People D N D because Twitter does not let me have an ampersand. Um, please do check out our actual plaything where we're doing Curse of Strahd, but I've made it a spaghetti western steampunky type of thing, and he's not a sex criminal. Hell yeah! Yay! See, I made it better. There you go. <laughs> um. <laughs> It's still better than Curse of Strahd Revamp. It's, be it's better than the gypsies who get – it's be better than the Romani people that get fucked over in Curse of Strahd. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, we, 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 we didn't do that either. I was like, eh, actually, no, I'm not doing that, my friend. No, no, thank you. Again, this is you at the table taking something you didn't like and changing it on mm -hmm. your own. Yeah, we, we do we do have um sexy lumberjack wolfwares, though. I that, mean – I mean, that sounds great. That You need that in all, yeah. in all games. You need that. Cool. Um, Eric, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Josh.